Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June 21, 2021. Coincidence, perhaps, maybe more meaningful for some of you. Um, it's sunny out here in California, uh, in Northern California, at least in San Francisco, from where I'm talking to you. San Francisco, of course, being part the southern uh, or the, the northern part of Silicon Valley. And things aren't quite as sunny in Silicon Valley as they have been over the last 25 years. New York Times has an interesting piece today on Google, a company that's mostly stayed out of the, the fire being directed at Apple and uh, Facebook and Uber and all the other Silicon Valley companies. It's about their new leader, Sundar Pichai, perhaps not quite so new, but he's not very well known. Um, uh, it's it's a it's a rather uh, it's a rather sensationalist piece. The Times have been talking to a lot of senior execs at Google, and they're not happy. Apparently, and and of course they mimic the Google search engine. Uh, they ask the question in the piece: Can a nice guy be an effective leader? There's no doubt that Pichai is a nice guy. Uh, the executives um, complaining in the piece that the ones that are complaining about Pichai's leadership acknowledge that he's a thoughtful and caring leader. I'm, I'm, quoting, um, I'm quoting the piece, uh, but they suggest he's not very dynamic, not much of a gambler. Perhaps he doesn't break as many things as previous Google leaders. Silicon Valley, of course, is in big trouble. Lena Khan is the new head of, the, um, uh, of, of antitrust in Washington, D.C. She's been charged by the Biden administration to take on the uh, to take on big tech, Google, uh, uh, Facebook, uh, Amazon, and Apple, and all over the world, people are pushing back against tech. Uh, here's a piece from NPR. Apparently, tens of thousands of people have signed a petition to stop Jeff Bezos from returning to Earth. He may have been a remarkable leader of Amazon, but I think most people don't want him leading Earth in terms of his explorations of space. Even Google. And Tim Cook, who most people like, are in trouble. Uh, in Europe, uh, there's a lot of legislation trying to force Apple and Cook to make sure that when you buy an iPhone, it doesn't come with Apple apps. So leadership and morality is something that we've talked about a lot on the show uh, over the last few years. And it's something that's particularly resonant, uh, relevant in Silicon Valley. One person who's given, been giving a lot of thought to morality and leadership is my guest on the show today. Uh, Sabrina Horn is the author of a really interesting new book, Make It, Don't Fake It, Leading with Authenticity for Real Business Success. Uh, Sabrina, welcome from the North Shore. Is it of, North, of New Jersey or of Long Island? Long Island. <laughs> Yes. I apologize for perhaps confusing those. I'm rather parochial in a West Coast <laughs> sense. Uh, Sabrina, does the, the Times piece on, um, on, on Pichai, I know you're very familiar with a lot of Silicon Valley companies, does it resonate? Is it, are, are, the, um, are the, 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 the people questioning um, Pichai right? Can a nice guy be an effective leader? 
Yes, uh, absolutely. I think you have to have a healthy mix of toughness as any kind of CEO, but you can be nice and fair and tough and be effective. Uh, your book, um, Sabrina, Make It, Don't Fake It, Leading with Authenticity for Real Business Success. The, the word that screams out at me, because it's not, I have to admit, it's not my favorite word, is authentic and authenticity. I looked it up in Merriam-Webster. It's um, a, a word that's often used in, in business circles, particularly in Silicon Valley. Um, why should uh, business leaders um, lead with authenticity? What does that word mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it's a great place to start. Um, authenticity, uh, honesty, integrity, I think all those words kind of get to the same thing, which is the truth and dealing with reality. And... Uh, it's a core foundation of any successful business or leadership team or marriage, frankly, <laughs> um, any kind of relationship. And I think in recent years, we've seen a lag of that, a, a, a loss of that. And a lot of people have, I think, forgotten about the fact that integrity matters so that that mantra, fake it till you make it, I think has really fueled that and accelerated that to the point where it's taken on a life of its own. And, and it's given people sort of a reason to lie or cheat, to not tell the truth, to get ahead. Uh, you focus on this in your, in your opening section. Um, I'm quoting you here from the book. Mm -hmm. Of all the business and career memes to gain popularity, you write, few have compromised integrity in business, leadership, and personal success more than the expression fake it till you make it. With roots in well-meaning early 20th century psychotherapy, this phrase has degenerated into a mantra that has encouraged and even normalized lying for the purpose of getting ahead. Um, tell me the, the story of this fake it till you make it. Who are the, the founders of this ideology? Sabrina, you talk about it in the book. Yeah. Yes, it's um, it does have well-meaning origins in cognitive behavioral therapy um, wasn't called faking it till you make it in the 1920s, but it was called acting as if. And that's the simple notion that if you are not confident or you're feeling insecure, you practice those behaviors that you wish you could exude and you practice them until you absorb them and become them. Um, and similarly, like power posing, visualizing yourself in a certain situation, dressing for success. These are all great sort of forms of self-help. Um, the, the issue is uh, with time and with social media in particular, um, there was a, a phrase that came up in a court case in 1973, um, where it was a pyramid sales scheme where people, charged way too much money for uh, adventures and experiences that were bogus. And so in the court case, there was a line in the documents that said that the salespeople were told to fake it till they make it. And that's the, the origin of that phrase, as far as I could tell from my research. Uh, that, that mutated in social media, 
in the last few decades in pop culture. There was even a TV show, um, which had about eight series, um, eight episodes uh, called Fake It Till You Make It, and it never made prime time. I guess it wasn't very good. Um, but uh, so, so then it just sort of took on a life of its own. And now it's a reason, as I said, for people to lie or exaggerate the truth or distort the facts, right? There's a broad spectrum of it. Uh, I think it's ironic, and you recognize this in the book, that you mm -hmm. as the owner of, a, of a, a very successful PR agency are the one who have to remind us in your new book, Make It Up, Don't Fake It, that we need to tell the truth. Uh, you, again, I'm quoting you from, from a section in the book, why should you listen to me? I listen to, uh, uh, listen to Sabrina. Uh, whoa, I can see those eyebrows rising. Isn't PR all about the art of spin? And if spin isn't fakery, it certainly is a second cousin. Let's go back to the father of all this, the unintended father, Alfred Adler, an early um, early 20th century uh, Austrian medical doctor and psychotherapist. Why do you focus in some ways at the beginning of, of faking it till you make it on Adler himself? What what was his mistake? Well, I mean, I, I don't know if he made a mistake per se. I think um, he was honestly and earnestly trying to give his patients tools with which to overcome their inferiority complexes. And we um, all have those, don't we, Sabrina? Yes, we do. <laughs> yes. And so I think it was really quite innocent. Um, it's just an example of, um, of a, a way of faking it, but that, that's innocent. You're not hurting anybody, right? When you fake it, you cross the line because you are doing or saying something at someone else's expense for your own personal gain. Acting as if and what Adler suggested uh, doesn't cross that line. It was just self-help. But you suggest that, as you say, that self-help ideology of Adler has metastasized into something broader and more socially acceptable. Perhaps it's TED culture more generally, and I'm quoting you again from your mm -hmm. introduction, uh, you don't have to look far to find current pop psychology versions of Adler's as if. Take Amy Cuddy, a former Harvard social uh, psychologist who became a minor pop culture sensation with a 2012 TED talk that promoted her theory of power posing. Right. Um, I actually looked up uh, Cuddy. And she looks particularly annoying uh, from the, the Ted thing. But isn't Ted <laughs> itself um, isn't Ted itself part of the problem? Is you get these people standing on stage for sixteen minutes who are basically being encouraged to fake it till they make it. Well, I mean, look, faking it or authenticity or the lack thereof is like beauty. They're in the eye of the beholder, so. You know, I don't well, think that justifies anyone faking it then because they can <laughs> claim that they think it's true. So I think Amy was, I mean, again, I don't think that she was doing any harm. She wasn't uh, trying to tell people to do things at the expense of others. She simply said, you can be more powerful if you look like it and act like it. Um, I mean, does it work? Is it proven? You know, it's again, it's up to the individual to see what works for them. 
Well, um, Sabrina, maybe Amy didn't do any harm except annoy me, which probably <laughs> would enjoy. You think she there are in- people in your book who who have done mm-hmm. tremendous harm. You talk about yes. the the Ponzi king Bernie Madoff and the disgraced former Theranos CEO and tech queen Elizabeth Holmes. I'm quoting you. Um, are spectacular uh, cases in point? Yes. Uh, talk about Madoff and Holmes, who have become in a in a rather sordid way the, the the pin-up characters of of lying in finance and in tech yeah I, of course i mean they're well documented individuals um and in both cases they intentionally deceived uh, and committed fraud made off what is the number 68 billion dollars I, d- I don't recall the figure um uh, robbing people of their money you know it was a short-term thing for him where he thought i'll just you know fake it a little because it's not hurting anybody i'll just do it for a little while but then he kept doing it and lies beget lies and then of course he was caught uh, same thing with elizabeth holmes i mean that the, the fabrication of that machine to be able to diagnose what everybody said was basically impossible, right? To diagnose diseases and blood issues from a single prick of the finger. I mean, the amount of money she took and all that, it was all exposed. Uh, but the, the thing about Holmes is, again, I, I don't want to blame her investors or friends or supporters, but people wanted to believe in it. And there were mm-hmm. many people, including George Schultz, who, who recently died, yes. a highly respected um, American Secretary of State and diplomat, who fell for her. I mean, she was a good liar, not good in a moral sense, but a very effective liar. Um, I, I'm curious, uh, we had Tim Jackson, the critic of capitalism on the show last month. Uh, He has a really interesting new book. Uh, The interview was quite provocative and and, and a lot of people agreed and disagreed. He has a new book called Post-Growth Life After Capitalism. Are you in the Jackson camp that suggests that a lot of this stuff somehow is, is, is part of the game of capitalism? Or do you think there can be good capitalists as opposed to lying ones like, um, Bernie Madoff and Elizabeth Holmes? I mean, I, I do think that uh, faking it is is a byproduct of, of capitalism, of, of just when things go sour and go bad and things change in, in meaning. And my purpose in this book is to help other business executives and entrepreneurs do a reset on that and you know, make them think twice before maybe they exaggerate the truth on their investor deck right? Or overpromise what their product can do to a customer. Continue, uh, Sabrina. P- pitch the CEO who, who believes that startup CEO who has the most remarkable product in the history of the world and it's going to change everything. We, we've heard that hundreds, you've heard it thousands of times. I've heard it hundreds of times on this show and it almost always turns out to be untrue. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell them why they need to be more honest. Well, because at some point, right, it could be a minute, a day, a year, or in Bernie Madoff's case, 10 years uh, before the truth really comes out, you'll be exposed for your lies, you'll ruin your reputation. If you're a CEO, you'll take your company down with you and sabotage your own success. And, And if you're an entrepreneur, 
you know, and you're under pressure to succeed and you're dealing with problems all the time, it, it can be tempting to take those shortcuts. But, but again, the danger is that you can be exposed for that. And wouldn't it just be so much easier if you did the work, worked hard, and achieved the success honestly and earnestly without endangering your potential success? In the capitalist hall of shame, alongside uh, Bernie Madoff and Elizabeth Holmes, they actually, someone should start a hall of shame. Maybe Madame Tussauds can have a question. <laughs> Um, connected, perhaps in another room, in a particularly shameful area, in Dante's circles of, of, of capitalist hell. These guys are right in the middle of it. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein and mm -hmm. Harvey Weinstein, both uh, sexual criminals. There was a, a news story earlier, uh, later last week. Uh, Weinstein now has been referred to trial in, in California. Uh, Epstein, of course, uh, killed himself. Um, and all this uh, triggered the Me Too movement. You're a longtime female entrepreneur and CEO. <laughs> the fake it till you make it is, and obviously we have Elizabeth Holmes, who's clearly a female rather than a male. But to what extent can we add gender to the problems here? Is it men who mostly try to make it um, uh, rather than, you know, are they the ones who are faking it all the time? Is there something, is there something about the male chromosome that lends itself <laughs> to faking it? No, Andrew, I don't. I, I do think that um, fake it till you make it, I mean, just faking it or distorting the truth, I think can particularly affect women and minorities um, who are trailblazers and um, trying to break the glass ceiling or whatever it is that they really want to achieve. Um, it can affect high achievers. So it's not uh, exclusive to one gender or another. Uh, we're obviously looking for models, uh, Sabrina, uh, for uh, making it rather than faking it. In your book, you, you touch on Apple. You say mm -hmm. um, you, you talk about uh, Tim Cook as, as a sort of the, the, the anti-Steve Jobs who took over from anti-Steve from 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 jobs um i'm quoting you by 2020 in fact he uh, cook had led uh, apple to become the first american company to achieve a trillion dollar valuation under his leadership the brand continued to fulfill its promise with subsequent releases of the iphone apple watch airpods and other devices cook also took on social causes such as the environment and diversity something for which jobs didn't have much of an appetite to put it politely and yet, um, and yet, Sabrina, um, uh, Cook is also the one who is uh, the Apple leader, who is who's made uh, Apple the the dominant American tech company in in China. The Times had a piece uh, last week about uh, somebody in Apple who warned Apple about the risks in China, about the the slave labor factories which they seem to be promoting. Uh, and here we have a. Uh, a picture of uh, Tim Cook in um, uh, in China, and now Apple uses more suppliers than China. Isn't and and I don't mean to vilify Cook because I accept your point, but it's really hard, isn't it, for anyone to be a completely moral leader in today's capitalism? Uh, yeah. You know, Google has a relatively good record in terms of China. They have bad records on other fronts, particularly in terms of surveillance capitalism. So. 
Is there a, a, a leader for you who is really a model, who has been completely unwilling to compromise any kind of morality to make sure that his company does the right thing? Or her company, for that matter, of course. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, I have to go back to my days based on personal experience, right? Because I, I can't... Uh, I can't really pick pinpoint a person that I, I haven't worked with, to be fair. Um, and even when we do work with people, um, sometimes things go on that we don't always know about. But I have to go back to the founder of, of a company called PeopleSoft, which happened to also be my first client in 1991. His name is Dave Duffield. And I believe he always operated with a, a straight arrow. I learned a tremendous amount from him about building a culture, a great company culture and about um, consistent customer experience. And it was all based on a really authentic leadership style. Sabrina, you dedicate the book to your two uh, daughters, I think. Uh, you yes. begin the book with <laughs> reference to your mother who miraculously escaped um, with her life in the Dresden fire, fire bombing, you have quite a lot of stuff about your father who tells the truth. How important do you think it is to have family, close people able to tell you the truth and for you to be also a model? Do you think the problem with guys like Zuckerberg, uh, who, who clearly uh, faked it, um, we had John Tapscott on the show, he's an old timer, he wrote yep. a book called Move Fast and Break Things. Zuckerberg stuck that up at the first Facebook offices. He took pride in, in basically uh, faking it. Um, do you think that family is important? I don't think you explicitly argue that in the book, but I get the sense from your dedication and from the references to your parents that for you, having family has been very important. Yes. I mean, it, it certainly is I dedicated the book to my daughters because I put them through hell. <laughs> when yeah. I was like, you know, I was a single mom and I was working all the time and I had to come home and they listened to all those stories about this, that, and the other thing. And, um, and I wanted to set a good example f for them in my career. And uh, this was a way of, of finally being able to, you know, do that. Um, but yes, I, I believe family and family values are are important. They certainly infused me with my entrepreneurial spirit and I guess my parents' survival instinct. Um, you know, was, there was something there that kept me wanting to make payroll for 24 years. <laughs> so um, yes, but I do think also that like you get your inspiration um, for better or for worse from wherever it, it, wherever you find it, right? I mean, you can have terrible family, uh, upbringing and experience, and it may motivate you to do other things with with great passion. So, you have to you have to find that source. What about the Steve Jobs argument or the counter argument to your book? Everybody knows Steve Jobs was a bad guy. Everybody knows that he lies. He probably acknowledged it himself. He may be watching this right now, giggling <laughs> in hell rather than heaven. Um, we never would have had the iPhone and the iPad and these other revolutionary devices, perhaps even the internet, without somebody like Jobs telling lies, faking it continually until he made it. What's the argument against Steve Jobs? Well, I mean, so, so there is an example of a man who was brilliant and who did what he did 
and still was successful at it. But he didn't cause fraud. He didn't commit a crime. He didn't, his products worked. I mean, you guys stole, stole his uh, his mouse from uh, Xerox. Uh, I mean, it may not have been a crime, but it was a bit dodgy legally. Well, I think what you can say about him is that he used his with own within the confines of the truth. He took license with what he, you know, felt was right, and he developed amazing products that people love or most people love millions of people love. And so, I mean, if the definition of faking it is doing or saying something at someone else's expense and being caught and lying, well, I don't think he quite fits in that category, but he definitely tiptoed and danced around that. that so where line. is he, Sabrina on your fakeometer? You have a, a wonderful figure in the uh, <laughs> book. The fakeometer is he, he's, um, He's sort of on on the border, isn't he? Yeah, he he's he not might. right at the end. He's not at the Bernie Madoff Elizabeth Holmes. Oh God, end, no! He's certainly not at the other end either. No, I mean, I th I think he danced with that with that line a little bit here and there. And look, I danced with it as well, being a a PR person in Silicon Valley. Uh, I saw a lot of fakery, but I also saw a lot of great leadership. And as a young CEO, I had four years of business experience and no leadership training, I learned how to be a leader on the job. And so, I mean, I faked it too. And- Well, we um, don't fake it, Sabrina. We're probably yeah. faking it now. Um, <laughs> uh, Sabrina, uh, earlier this, uh, well, actually last week, we had the Washington DC political writer, Jonathan Rausch on the show. His new book, A Constitution of Knowledge, A Defense of Truth. He believes that truth's really in trouble these days in the social mm -hmm. media age. I think your notion of making it rather than faking it is rooted in a in in a respect for truth do you think that social media the tiktoks and instagrams of the world have they made it easier to yes. fake it um yeah. and and are you as concerned with people like Rausch about the direction of our culture yes i mean that that's it's why i wrote this book at this time right because i i absolutely agree uh with that and um, social media notes, it's interesting. Initially, it was a novel thing and it exposed, it kept companies honest, right? Because it was, you, you were out there pretty good, you make claims and customers can call you on it. But it, it also went the other direction where people can call themselves influencers and they say, well, this is the new thing, this is the new trend. And so, and so therefore it is. And so, you know, I am deeply concerned about where society and business. Right, your girls, um, how old are your daughters? Uh, 23 and 20. Oh, so they're a bit old for you to set down the law. I hope they're not on Instagram and TikTok too much. I have a 20 year old who is hard to separate from her, her iPhone. Um, Sabrina, finally, I can't let you go without you telling the IBM story from the book. It's, uh, it's amusing to me. I mean, it wasn't amusing to you at the time, but you use it as a kind of nightmare story for you to, 
to tell, to recognize that you haven't always been a success, but also to, to learn from mistakes. So, so tell me the IBM story. It's an awful story. It's hilarious as well. <laughs> yes, it's a it's a story about about losing and about rebounding from loss and and acting like a leader and not sticking your head in the sand. Basically, I I had um, just come back from a very long roadshow press tour is what we did back in those days. It was like an IPO. You have 10 meetings a day. And I turned right around and went back to the East Coast to pitch the uh, IBM Olympic Information Systems account because IBM was sponsoring the Olympics uh, a couple of years. Um, I think I forget the year exactly now, but I was I was utterly exhausted. And I went in with these beautiful overhead transparencies. It was the technology of the day, 1996. And we had just printed the Olympic torch, its vibrant colors, the, the, all of the, the Olympic circles were in their proper colors. <laughs> and I went in and we were given this really, if I may just say, the shittiest room at, at IBM to present in. It sounded it, like a toilet, basically. It, it was. And there was no screen for us to, to project our images on, so we had to present on like a corner, which made the words sort of like distorted. And um, the decision maker who was in charge of the meeting was late. He came in halfway through. You don't name him in the book. Can you name him now and shame him? I don't actually remember his name. Yeah, well, that sums him up. I don't think anyone remembers anyone's name from IBM. I don't remember his name, uh, but what happened was that he barraged me with these questions like, where's your big ideas? What's your strategy? Where's the budget? And he was flipping through the deck and looking for the numbers, and he didn't give me a chance to answer any of the questions. And finally, I stood there looking down at these overhead slides, right, and I started to cry. <laughs> because I was just so utterly exhausted and uh, frustrated and any other word you can think of in that moment. And the people sitting in the meeting, they were looking up at the ceiling because they were like, oh, is there a leak? <laughs> and so all the words on the slides started to bleed and they formed this brownish liquid that started oozing off the side. <laughs> and so I, I couldn't stop, couldn't stop crying. And then it continued on the plane on the way home, including yes. with your associate who got sick, right? So yes. it didn't even, it even leaving the office <laughs> continued the nightmare. Well, Sabrina, you have rebounded on every front. You are now um, a very distinguished, uh, can I say it on this show, PR maven. And you are also mm -hmm. the author of a really interesting new book, very honest and funny and instructive, make it, don't fake it, leading with authenticity for real business success. And must read, I think, for startup entrepreneurs who, as the English like to say, tell pork pies lies. I think <laughs> Sabrina does a very nice job explaining why it's better, not only more moral, but in your own self-interest to tell the truth. Sabrina, uh, you are in um, Northern Long Island at the moment in our almost post-COVID age. Uh, as I said, people need to read your new book. What else should people be reading in these strange times as life begins to get back to normal? Yes, I um, just started reading a book called Let's Fly, 
which was written by a, a former PR colleague of mine named Giles Fraser. He runs uh, an agency called Brands to Life in London, and um, it's a it's a thriller. So, a thriller. Well, Sabrina, that was a thriller, and uh, congratulations on the new book. As I said, "Make It, Don't Fake It" by Sabrina Horn, a must-read for not only PR execs but all startup people. Very smart, elegant, truthful and wise in its own way. Sabrina, keep well, keep fighting, stop crying, and we'll have you back on the show in the not-too-distant future yes. to talk more about the hall of shame and fame in Silicon Valley. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. It was a pleasure.